None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. Good manufacturing practices, quality control, traceability. What should Kratom vendors be doing? We get into it with Jennifer Bruce, who has over 20 years experience in the field. But first we talk to her about her own experience working in pharmaceuticals and her own health journey that made her disillusioned with that industry. Yeah, let's just uh, talk about your background and how you came into the uh, Kratom world. Sure. So back in 2019, I was on my way out of the pharmaceutical industry. I'd started in the industry around 1994, working in research and development. And then I moved on to manufacturing, materials management, quality assurance, quality control. Anyway, I I ran the whole gambit and I Bopped around from different companies. I worked primarily for uh, small virtual startup pharmaceutical companies. I worked for some biologics companies. So that means I worked on vaccine products. And towards the end, I guess it was around 2007, 8, 9 timeframe. I really just started being disillusioned with the industry. I I wanted to do something different. I didn't know what that looked like. And so I can what I ended up doing was is I I stopped taking full-time jobs and I started doing consulting work. And then I thought, well, that will help me pick and choose and I can choose the projects that I want to work on, the products that I want to support, and that'll give me some more freedom. And so I did that for a while. Um, and over the course of doing that, I was introduced to other consulting agencies who would pick me up and put me out on projects and that type of thing. And my last major project was in 2017, and it was an on-site project in Seattle, Washington. So I was living in the California Bay Area, and I moved And once I completed that one-year assignment, the agency that had uh, assigned me that contract, I reached out to them and said, you know, is there anything else I can do? So I started doing some administrative support, writing blogs for them, and and that helped um, me, you know, satisfy that curiosity to do different things. But I was still not wanting to just, I didn't want to be in that industry anymore for personal reasons. And I can go into that later, but it was 2019 and I was on Facebook and some of my friends were posting about Kratom. And, you know, as you know, when, when Facebook popped up, all of a sudden I was in touch with, you know, people I went to college with people I went to high school with people I went to elementary school with. And I realized that a number of my friends that, you know, I wasn't in touch with face-to-face, but I I knew people that were uh, posting about Kratom. And I thought, well, what is this? And so I went over to the American Kratom Association Facebook page 
And I saw that they had launched a GMP certification program. And I thought, well, isn't this interesting? You know, I could apply my skills and expertise towards supporting natural products. And that could be an interesting new avenue for me to move move down. I reached out to the AKA. I sent an email and I got a reply back. And I said, you know, is there anything I can help with? I, you know, would really like to support this. I didn't know much about Kratom at the time. I didn't know much at all about the AKA. Um, but I, you know, I just put it forward that, you know, this was my area of expertise, GMP compliance. And then I felt that I could, you know, I could help. And so they emailed me a bunch of their documents, their audit checklist form and, you know, description of the program and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And we just kind of took it from there. I never worked for the AKA, although I worked with the AKA from that point forward, you know, up until recently, I mean, I'm still in touch with the AKA, not, not as much as I used to be because I am taking on different projects at this time. But I was, you know, deeply engaged in, you know, in the, in the beginning of that process. And so that is what the AKA would turn around and refer clientele to me. And so these Kratom vendors would write to me and say, hey, I want to learn about GMP or I want an AKA GMP audit. Can you help me? And that's how it all started. You said you were in the pharmaceutical industry and you became disillusioned with it. So why was that? Why, what made you want to get out of that industry? Well, when I originally got into the industry, um, and actually even before that, uh, when, I was, when I was a younger person, I had um, a catastrophic life event, I'll call it, where when I was 12 years old, my grandfather, who was the love of my life at that time, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And over the six months from the time of his diagnosis to his death, I watched a person that I dearly, dearly loved and admired and respected just disintegrate in front of my eyes. And he suffered a lot through the progression of that illness. And nobody could do anything for him, not the alternative health community that he was re- had reached out to, or my grandmother had reached out to, and, and definitely not the allopathic medical system. And so as a consequence, I, I always had the idea in my mind that I wanted to make medicine to help sick people get well. And that was going to be my life's mission. And so by the time I got into college, my parents put a lot of pressure on me. They wanted me to be pre-med. I did not want to be a doctor. I never wanted to be a doctor. Uh, I was enrolled in a lot of courses with other pre-med students. I didn't like them. I didn't like the fact that people were pursuing medicine for profit. You know, they wanted to, you know, make lots of money, have a prestigious career, drive fancy cars, that whole thing. I mean, I, I still held on to that belief that I could make a difference through medicine. And so when I finished school, uh, I relocated up to the Pacific Northwest and I landed my first job in biotech. And that was in a new drug, new drug development company. It was research and development. So it wasn't 
GMP to the extent that I know GMP now, it's a different set of GMPs that were applicable. Um, the, actually, the good laboratory practices, the GLPs. I had a lot of fun. Uh, the work itself was pretty monotonous and <laughs> kind of boring. I mean, we were making you know new drug compounds sitting at a, a chemistry bench day in and day out. I had a lot of repetitive injuries from pipetting, and right around the same time, I had gotten into therapy for myself personally. And I just fell in love with self-development and consciousness and transformation. And so I decided, all right, that's it. I'm going to change my career. I don't want to be in this, this drug uh, company business. You know, without a PhD, it's really difficult to go anywhere if you're just a person with a bachelor's degree, which is what I was. So I went ahead and went to graduate school and that was in San Francisco, California. And I decided I needed to apply for a job and I needed to work and go to school at the same time. I was, I was now married, but we weren't making very much money and the Bay Area was really expensive. And so I ended up going back into the pharmaceutical industry in a different capacity this time in manufacturing and materials management. And that that job eventually morphed into quality assurance and quality control. And so it took me on this whole path where I was doing this work with the understanding that once I got my master's degree, I was going to do something different, but that do something different never happened. <laughs> so consequently, I, you know, I graduated, I went through a divorce, which was really painful and difficult. Uh, now I was a single woman living in the Bay Area and, you know, looking at entry level mental health practitioner jobs at $12 an hour, or I could stay uh, in biotech and make a lot more money. And so I chased after that paycheck. Around the same time I was in the lab in Seattle, I started having some health issues. It was very odd to me because I'd made a lot of lifestyle changes once I'd started my own work in my own personal work in therapy. And it was absolutely bizarre to me that all of a sudden my, it felt like my body was breaking down. My body was giving up on me. And I went through probably one year's worth of visits to different allopathic doctors, round after round of diagnostic tests. Nobody could figure out what I had and why I was having the symptoms I was having. And it began to impact my, my life to the extent where I, I was afraid I was gonna lose my job. I was having a lot of massive brain fog. My coordination skills were deteriorating. I was dropping things in the laboratory. I had two fires in my hood, in my chemical fume hood that were my fault because I was heating a closed system and there was an ex a very big explosion with one of them. Luckily, I had the safety, I had the sash down on the, on the hood. So when the glassware inside exploded, I didn't injure myself or anyone else in the lab, but I knew I was in big trouble. I started reaching out to people and saying, look, I have this situation. I can't figure out what's wrong with me. The doctors can't figure out what's wrong with me. They want, they want to diagnose me with narcolepsy. They want to put me on this very hardcore pharmaceutical drug for the rest of my life. And I may not be able to work again. I may have to go out on permanent disability. I'm 24 years old. So I ended up finding a naturopath in the Seattle area 
who within 15 minutes of hearing my story knew exactly what was wrong with me after taking my history, sent me out for, for blood work, stool specimens, urine, the whole nine yards. And my system was completely overgrown with candida. And once we were able to get my microbiome, once we were able to get the flora back in balance, my life completely transformed and I was probably healthier than I've ever been in my entire life. And at that point, I was really disillusioned with drugs and the allopathic medical model in general, because after that one year of being poked and prodded and gaslit for a lot of these doctors were telling me I had psychological problems, that I was making up my symptoms, that I wasn't as sick as I said that I was. And it was it was a heartbreaking experience because, you know, I, I loved the idea of medicine. I loved the idea of, of helping people and doctors and hospitals and the whole nine yards. And so when I went back into industry, I, you know, I took that those experiences with me and it really colored, you know, I couldn't work on products that I felt could be treated through diet and lifestyle. I didn't want to work for large organizations that, in my opinion, were clearly out for profit and not interested in the well-being of their patients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I said, I was, you know, having my own ethical struggle within myself. How am I going to survive? How am I going to pay my rent? So I would make these little mini compromises. Okay, well, now in 2003, I'm going to take a job and I'm solely responsible for corporate and compliance-based regulatory training. Therefore, my hands aren't on the products and I have nothing to do with it. Well, uh, that's not actually true, you know, but I was, so it was kind of agonizing, you know, I was making the money and I had, you know, uh, I had the loft, the artist loft in Oakland, and I had my little classic car, but deep down inside, I wasn't happy. You know, I had, I had the stuff and I had the, you know, I had the material security for the moment, but it wasn't, it wasn't the work that I came here to do. And so that when I finally came to terms with that in 2019 and reached out to the AKA, uh, I just said, look, I'm either I've either got to go full bore into natural products and take that leap of faith that the universe is going to support me in this decision or I'm going to fail and I will figure out what to do when that time comes. And lo and behold, by 2020, I had so many people reaching out to me in natural skincare in, in the CBD arena, uh, kratom vendors, um, kratom formulators, people, you know, all different kinds of opportunities and creative projects that I didn't even know existed. And it was kind of like, wow, all those years I was afraid that, you know, I would fail and now here I am. And so I have a lot of gratitude right now for, you know, where I am, the work that I do, the people that I meet through the natural products industry, Kratom specifically, you know, it's very different working for a Kratom client than working for a pharma client. You know, there's a much more heart-centered relationship that develops because I know that the people that I work with in the Kratom industry, they do it because they've had an impact kratom has somehow impacted their lives and they are committed to sharing that knowledge with their communities and their customers 
And that just really moves me. It, you know, it, it makes the work worthwhile. Some of my clients I haven't spoken to in a couple of years, but I know if I reached out to them and said, Hey, you know, it would be just like yesterday that we spoke last, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's a great feeling. And I, you know, I've really, I've really made some, you know, not just, not just clients, but I've made some lifelong friends through this industry. And I wanted to talk about creating quality control, but I was just going to add, I just question came to mind, like it's sort of like natural products versus pharmaceuticals. Do you think it's more like the delivery method of these pharmaceuticals uh, in and of themselves? They're just sort of like isolated, like a kratom if, if they developed a kratom pharmaceutical, it would probably isolate a mitragynine and perhaps another alkaloid based on uh, what's going on. And that, that might actually be good and it'll be purified and, and you'll know what you're getting. It might actually help people. But it, it's it's a lot of like you go to the doctor, you tell them symptoms, and then you come out of one checkup and you're prescribed with four different pharmaceuticals. And they're not necessarily taking the time anymore to really find out what's going on. Like you had a, a gut biome issue and, and, and they just didn't take the time to find out. Do you think there's something inherently better about natural versus pharmaceutical? Okay, so that's a, that's a really interesting question. So before I answer that question, I just want to make a comment of, on what you just talked about in, with regards to the allopathic medical model. And you're right. Uh, MDs or GMs or whatever they're called in the UK or Europe, um, they treat symptoms. Mm-hmm. They don't look for root causes. So one of the first functional medicine doctors that I became aware of was a doctor. Uh, well, he's still alive. His name is Dr. Mark um, Hyman. And he, you can find him on the internet, but he did a wonderful presentation talking about his own situation where he found himself catastrophically sick and nobody could figure out why. And they're giving him antidepressants and they're giving him this and they're giving him that. And next thing you know, you know, he's on five different pharmaceuticals or he's got some type of diagnosis that doesn't adequately reflect what's happening within the, his human body. Right. So we, you know, we are a living ecosystem, the human body. I'll give you a good example. So at one point I started having eczema on my earlobes. I had really long red hair and I loved to wear it up in a big pile on top of my head. And I loved, you know, getting dressed up for work and that whole thing. And I had these earlobes that were peeling and weeping and inflamed and painful and itchy. And it was horrible. So I went to a dermatologist and they prescribed a cream for me, which I put on my earlobes. And then my earlobes got better. And then I stopped using the cream and my earlobes got worse. And then I started using the cream and my earlobes got better. So this went on for a little while. And then I just said, you know what? This is crazy. I started researching on my own eczema, right? And for whatever reason, it was only targeting my earlobes. But as I went through my research, I realized that there was a relationship between eczema and adrenal gland fatigue or adrenal exhaustion, Mm -hmm. two different things, but, you know, something to do with the adrenals. 
So I made an appointment with a naturopath, went in, showed him my earlobes, said, this is what I suspect is going on. What do you think? And they said, huh, interesting. Well, let's talk about your lifestyle. Okay, I'm working a full-time corporate job. I'm living on coffee. Um, I'm not eating whole foods. I'm, you know, eating junk food. I'm, I'm overworked. I'm overtired. I'm not hydrated. I'm not sleeping well. We do a simple uh, adrenal gland test. What do you know? I'm, I'm in full adrenal gland exhaustion. So I make some lifestyle changes, uh, you know, go through a nutritional protocol with this, with this doctor, go back in, have the tests run again, eczema's gone, it's never come back. So that's just a, one example. I mean, there's so many examples. In Dr. In Dr. Hyman's uh, uh, experience, he had heavy metal poisoning. He had all kinds of stuff going on that had nothing that wasn't going to be cured by taking an antidepressant or a blood pressure medication or this or that. You know, we have to, and, and especially with what's been going on over the last two years, um, it, it's, it becomes vitally important that we, we start to ask really critical questions for ourselves about what's going on with our body and what does our body need and working with practitioners on a more collaborative level instead of that practitioner being a guru, being an authority on my body or my health. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So just to, just to answer that. Now, in terms of pharmaceuticals versus natural products. Um, I'm not anti-pharmaceuticals at all. And I think emergency medicine is absolutely critical and super amazing. Um, and without it, I mean, uh, ER doctors, uh, the magic and the miracles that they can work um, when people have catastrophic accidents and uh, you know heart attacks, things like that on the spot, they do amazing work. But in terms of like this whole industry around chronic disease, uh, degenerative disease, I think there's a lot of room for growth. And when you look at the products that you take, I think it's really important to keep in mind that there is a wisdom in nature that cannot be replicated synthetically. So if we're talking about for example, uh, an isolate of a kratom alkaloid from a natural product, I wouldn't consider that to be the same thing as a synthetic version mm -hmm. of the metrogenine or the 7-hydroxymetrogenine, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, and I think, you know, every product has its place. And I think the most important thing is what people don't do is they don't use their intuition and their own internal guidance system when they're looking at whatever treatment plan they're being offered by their healthcare professionals. So you really have to feel into it. I mean, in some cases, a pharmaceutical is vital if you want to stay alive. Yeah. You know, mm. if you're in a if you're in a place of crisis, if you have a systemic infection. Um, that needs, you know, to be kicked in the butt right away, you know, chewing raw garlic isn't going to help you. It's yeah. probably going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's about using discernment and, and taking an active role. It, we have a responsibility, you know, it's my body. If I go out there and, you know, and this has happened, you know, I've done a treatment 
plan that's been prescribed to me and it's made me worse. At, at the end of the day, my doctor's not going to say, oh, I'm really sorry about that. You know, they're going to say, well, you know, you took the meds. So, I mean, it, ultimately, it's all going to come back on us anyway. So we might as well stand up and educate ourselves and learn about, you know, what, you know, what does it mean to be truly healthy? And, you know, some people don't want to be healthy and that's fine. And some people just want to, you know, they don't want to do a, a three to six month detox in order to feel results. They want to take a pill so they can feel better right now. And that's okay too. You know, there's no right or wrong, good or bad. It all comes down to personal preference. And what I observe among people who have found benefit in Kratom is that they usually turn to Kratom because the allopathic medical model has failed them. Mm -hmm. The pain meds stopped working or they've developed dependency. They, they, they can't stand being on antidepressants for another day, month, year, and they're looking for alternatives. And that is fantastic. That's the good news of where we are in our evolution as a species is that more and more people are taking an interest in their health because the systems all around us are come, they're crashing down. They're failing. Yeah. I want to talk about, all right, the whole quality control thing with Kratom. So most sure. of the Kratom that's uh, consumed here is grown in Indonesia. So what happens between the Kratom tree in Indonesia and the product that I have in my cupboard that necessitates quality control? Well, I mean, there's a lot of, there are a lot of different steps that are involved, right? So there are a lot of, I mean, as you know, as your audience probably knows, Kratom's been around for thousands of years and as been a well-known remedy in East Asia for, for thousands of years. So it is, you know, it is grown in farms in Indonesia and in parts of Thailand. Um, also, it's being grown in the United States of America, which, of course, not in, in the quantities that it's grown overseas, but it's harvested. Uh, you know, the leaves are harvested. So the thing is, and what made it easy for me to kind of uh, transition into this industry was because I had worked for a skincare company whose primary ingredient was argan oil. It was uh, the argan nuts were grown over in Morocco and then they were um, cold pressed and, and the oil was extracted. And then that oil was imported in the United States for use in these cosmetic products. So when I flew out to Morocco, to audit this GMP argan oil facility, you know, I just about had a heart attack. Um, the warehouse had dirt floors. Uh, the windows were open without screens. You know, I mean, it was like going back into the stone age. And I actually did an, an active pharmaceutical ingredient audit back in 2008 down in South India. And it was similar, not, it was a little bit better, but you know, these non-Westernized countries, they just, they're not required to have the processes and systems in place that we in the West do, right? So they have a whole different set of their own regulations and there's really no incentive for them to follow our regulations if they don't have to. Yeah. So, you know, so what you can expect to see is, 
you know, a bunch of leaves on the ground. Maybe it's in an enclosed structure. Um, in terms of cleanliness, you know, there's a high possibility for micro contamination because, you know, you may have chickens running through it. Uh, Speaking of chickens, I, I hear yeah. some in the background there. I there used to raise them. Turkeys. There are chickens and turkeys and goats next door. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's, I live in a very rural part of Mexico. You know, in terms of quality control outside the United States, you know, no vendor's really going to have any con- no matter what the farmer or the, you know, the broker, whoever you're buying from, I mean, it's never going to be the same as it would be here in the United States or in Canada or in Europe, you know? So basically what that means is, is that once that bulk product arrives, then at that point, you know, the quality control standards have to be implemented immediately. Now there are some, I, I am aware that there are some laboratories that are popping up over on the Indonesia side and they are testing Kratom um, before it's shipped out. But in a lot of cases, you're just getting a leaf that's, you know, that's been dried, that's been ground, that's been packaged in a, in a brick or in a tote or something. And then it arrives on the USA side, right? Mm-hmm. From that point, Vendors, some vendors will choose to take that bulk product and and run it through a sterilization procedure, whether it's like a low heat oven uh, to cook out any micro contamination. They might microwave it. There's all different types of things. Some people choose to do nothing but to sample it and have it tested. And if the test results are within specification for what they've outlined for their product, then they'll go ahead and and either um, formulate it, you know, they can blend it into a powdered blend, they can formulate it into a tincture, they can, you know, manufacture an extract, there's all different types of things. But the majority of creative vendors just repackage that powder into um, finished goods. So they either encapsulate it into capsules or they package it as a powder. Mm-hmm. And my clients range from anywhere to a company of my smallest client is one person with a part-time packager all the way up to um, facilities that are running, you know, five to 10 clean rooms at a time. Okay. So very small to very big. So I've, I've seen quite a bit in the industry. You um, listed some stuff you wanted to talk about. You, you mentioned the regulations that apply specifically to Kratom vendors, and you mentioned GMPs, good manufacturing practices, but there are a whole uh, list of other ones, um, ISO, ICH, NSF, AHPA. Yeah, so that was one of the things that I thought would be um, really valuable to talk about. Mm-hmm is, you know, what is, what does GMP mean? You know, so you see on websites or in, on packaging, it'll say like GMP certified or, or uh, American Kratom Association GMP certified. There's different regulations at play. And one of the things that I recently became aware of in working with a newer client of mine 
we were going back and forth arguing about what regulations were applicable. And finally, I got on a call with my client and a consultant from the NSF. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the NSF. Uh, not really, no. Okay, so within the, within the world of dietary supplement regulation, NSF is one of those GMP certifying bodies that will come out and do a facility inspection for you, and you can get an NSF stamp of approval on your products. It's a very, very difficult process to go through. Their requirements are very strict. They have their own guidance documents that you can buy. NSF stands for the National Sanitation Foundation, and they've been around for a long time. And they have made it very clear that they absolutely will not GMP certify any Kratom vendor. Um, And that is their position and they won't waiver, um, similar to the American Herbal Products Association. But anyway, I'm on this call with this NSF guy, you know, and I have a lot of respect for the NSF. I mean, I had a very short working relationship with one dietary supplement manufacturer in the Santa Cruz mountains back in 2008, 2009 timeframe. And um, it was very eye opening because I was really under the impression that dietary supplement manufacturers had a lot more integrity than the drug manufacturers that, you know, they were going to be following the rules and regulations that it was just going to be like, Oh, natural products and everybody's doing the right thing. And um, unfortunately I would say that there's at this point in time, there's just as much corruption in the dietary supplement industry as there is in the pharmaceutical industry with regards to people either not following regulations or cutting corners uh, you know, tailoring, you know, basically coming up with workarounds. So we'll do this, but we're not going to do that type of thing. And it's sad, um, but that's the way it is. So, you know, as you're walking down that, you know, that aisle at Whole Foods, looking at all those pretty labels on those dietary supplements, you really need to go home and do some research on the company that's manufacturing those products and do your due diligence to find out, you know, if they are above board or not, because yeah. um, they they need to be scrutinized um, as well. So I'm talking to the NSF guy, and he starts he he starts out. I said I do not understand why we're talking about food regulations, and he said, well, Jennifer, um, uh, it, the FDA considers all dietary supplements to be food, and I was like, what? I mean, I rarely like jaw drop, like I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, okay, wait a second. Dietary supplements are food. I guess because they're not drugs. They're not like technically classified as drugs. So they're, it's either a drug or a food. Is that kind of how it works? I don't know, but I mean, it doesn't really sense, make any sense to me. I mean, you're not going to eat a bowl of, of, of ginseng for breakfast, you know, you're not going to, it's, I I don't, I don't get it. Honestly, I don't get it. But if that's the way the agency sees it, then, so I had been advising my clients from 2019, well, actually from 2008, 2009, when I was working at that other company, we followed part 111, which are the good manufacturing practices for dietary supplements. 
And my understanding when I started working with Kratom uh, vendors through the AKA that some of the vendors chose to follow the food regulations, which is um, 21 CFR part 117, which I have really very limited experience. I mean, I've read them, that's it. So when I was working with clients, I, I mean, I was primarily working with part 111 compliant vendors, and some of them would, would do both 111 and 117. But apparently back in 2020, there was another new program that went into effect, which is um, covered under 21 CFR part 121, and that is the FDA food defense program of which I know very little about. I'm actually learning about it right now. I know that there's a downloadable app on the FDA.gov website that people can download for free. Um, and that would, you would go through that application and fill out all the required information so that if you did have an on-site audit from FDA, you would have that information accessible to them while they were on site at your facility. <clears throat> so it's around, you know, food and uh, import. There's, um, they have a much stricter supplier, international supplier qualification. So if you're bringing in materials from overseas, um, it's much, much more of a stringent procedure in terms of how you qualify that vendor. Uh, and that impacts all of, pretty much most of the Kratom um, vendors out there because the product, the, the materials coming from Indonesia, but that goes for, you know, any material coming from overseas. So it, it's, it's, it's become, and here's the thing that makes it even crazier is that because Kratom is not regulated by the FDA at this point, you don't really have to follow any regulation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of up to the vendor to decide now, if the agency does decide to regulate those vendors who have been working towards compliance will probably be much more likely to, main, to stay in business and to continue operations while the smaller vendors who've been, you know, packaging at home in their living room or doing, you know, whatever they do in their mom's basement, I don't know. Um, those guys are probably going to drop out of the picture because um, they just won't be able to, I mean, they'll be hit with fines and all kinds of other things. Mm -hmm. and, and another thing, you know, that, that people aren't aware of too, I just recently last year had a vendor who was fined by the state of California because they were um, distributing their kratom uh, to the state of California without a Prop 65 warning on the label, and they were cited with a $150,000 fine wow. by the state attorney by the state attorney general of California, and they had to pay it. So you know, it's really, what is that Prop really, 65? Is that just for the state of California? It's just for the state of California, and it relates to the percentage of lead that's in the product. Okay. It's not just California. I think there's some other states. I mean, I, Prop 65 for California is specific to California, but, you know, the heavy metals is is, um, is one of the panels of, of tests that is really critical for creative vendors to be testing for, and you'd be surprised how many people don't do it. 
And, and that kind of gets me into the other thing you were talking about, about consumers doing their own due diligence before purchasing yeah. a Kratom. So what yeah. can consumers do? My first go-to is to go and take a look at their website. If they have a website and they have a big AKA GMP certified, but they don't talk about quality, they don't talk about their systems or their processes, they don't talk about what GMP means to them, chances are they don't, they don't understand GMP. One of the downsides of the AKA GMP certification process is that, and the AKA will be the first to admit this, they have nobody on staff that has any experience in manufacturing GMPs, quality assurance, quality control, regulatory, none of it. So what they've done is they've created an audit checklist. You sign up for the program, you have your third-party audit. Now, that audit report goes back to the AKA, they say, for review and to be placed on file. Well, if nobody there has any experience in GMP, how can anyone review it? So I, I, I doubt that anybody's ever been, uh, who's you know submitted a report has ever been you know disqualified or anything like that because on what grounds would that happen you know hmm. so and as we know there's a lot of questionable behavior in this industry and it's it's systemic it's not just kratom it's supplements it's drugs it's all across the yeah. board where you know it wouldn't be that difficult to buy uh, you know to pay a consultant to fill out that form and to submit it. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can actually get that logo on your website or your product, and it may or may not mean anything. Mm -hmm. So that's why customers have to do their own due diligence. And they also need to understand their rights. So if you purchase a product and you have uh, and you're not happy with it. Like, let's say I buy some green main dawn, I take some and I become violently ill or I get a fever or something happens. And I, you know, email or I call that company and I say, look, I'm having this issue. And they say, oh, okay, well, we'll replace it. We'll replace it. Well, no, they have a federal requirement to investigate what happened. So you want to know, do they have a procedure in place? for investigating complaints? Do they have a procedure in place for handling safety events such as adverse events and serious adverse events? Do they know the difference between an adverse event and a serious adverse event? For whatever reason, you know, somebody could take a product and have a life-threatening reaction um, and they need to know that their questions can be answered by the vendor or the distributor that they purchased that product from. So again, you know, the bottom line is for me, it all goes back to consumer safety, you know, and making sure that the consumer is not being put at risk. And there's lots of different ways for uh, Kratom to become contaminated or cross-contaminated. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, adding synthetic drugs or whatever, but I mean, you know, you have a facility. How clean is your facility? What are, you know, what's your cleaning schedule? What kind of sanitizing agents are you using? What kind of training program do you have in place to ensure that your personnel are doing the same thing each and every time? You know, this is what GMPs are about. GMPs are basically all about control. You need to demonstrate control of your process 
from the moment that bulk product lands at your warehouse receiving door until it goes out the door on its way to a consumer. Every step along the way needs to be documented. It needs to be um, governed by a procedure or a work instruction. People need to be trained and you need to have full traceability over the life cycle of that product. And if the vendor doesn't have that, they're doing a grave disservice to the industry itself. This is what I used to do when I worked in the pharmaceutical industry, um, because a lot of the times you get stuck doing these, you know, GMP can be really monotonous and you have to do the same thing over and over and over. And one of the things I used to think to myself was I, I went through this period of time where I was reviewing production batch records for uh, a manufacturing facility that we were using in Spain. And I would have to have them translated and then I would have to have them backwards translated and blah, 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 and go through all the comments. And I would sit there and I mean, I hated it. I absolutely effing hated it. Mm -hmm. And I would, so what I would imagine, I would create this story in my head that the product that I was working on was going to be, was going to my family members. And it was my job to make sure that, you know, all that everything was in compliance, that, you know, everything made sense, that every deviation was investigated, that every box was checked, every T was crossed, every I was dotted. Now, people don't want to go to that level of due diligence in the workplace mm -hmm. because, like I said, it's boring and it's monotonous. Yeah. So when you are a distributor and you are purchasing a product from a manufacturer, whether it's a gummy or a vape pen or whatever, you have an even greater responsibility because if something is to happen to one of your consumers, if there's a recall, if there's a, a string of deaths and the FDA shows up at your door and you say, oh, that was Joe and Ted's gummies. Uh, it's Joe and Ted's gummies fault. The FDA is going to look you in the eye and say, no, it's your fault. So when you're a distributor, you need to understand that the products that you're distributing, you need to know how they've been manufactured, how they've been packaged, mm -hmm. what the specifications are for testing. I go out and I audit these uh these vendors you yeah. know if you're having somebody if you're outsourcing work to another company if somebody else is encapsulating your kratom powder if you are physically shipping bulk powder off of your premises to another facility they're putting it in capsules and then they're shipping it back to you how do you know that nothing happened to that material in the time it was out of your control yeah. So you would want to walk through their facility, look at their procedures, hold them to the same level of compliance that you would hold yourself and understand their process in the event you had to defend their process. Because if the, F if the FDA comes on site and says, oh, yeah, how does that encapsulation process work? Show me, show me the encapsulation batch records. Oh, they're over at uh, Joe and Ted's gummies or whatever. They're getting, that's just never going to fly. So there's a huge responsibility piece that people think that just distributing a product is like no big thing. Mm -hmm. It's actually 
a bigger responsibility because you're not in the manufacturing facility. You don't have day-to-day -day exposure to those business processes. It's much better, you know, when you manufacture for yourself, you know what you're doing and you can speak to that and you can justify why you do things the way you do. So, yeah, so I think people really have to be leery of these big distribution hubs that are selling this, that, and the other product. I would definitely, you know, go back on, look at the menu, look at the label, find out who's making that product and, you know, do a little internet searching and, and see uh, if Joe and Ted's gummies have a history with the FDA. Maybe they've got, you know, warning letters are public. They're in the public domain. Yeah. And the same goes for anything you put in your body. Anytime you get a pharmaceutical prescription, you can Google the name of the company who's manufactured or distributed that product. And whoa, they've had five warning letters in the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. you know what? That's probably a product you don't want to put in your body. So let's talk about what a vendor has to do for a GMP audit in general. Maybe maybe say they have a, like a clean garage that they distribute out of or a clean basement and they think they uh, wipe everything down at the end of the day. Uh, what else do they have to do to comply with GMP? Well, you know, first and foremost, I don't think... Uh, I don't think the FDA would recognize any location zoned residential as as suitable for GMP manufacturing. I mean, uh -huh. you definitely need to be in some type of a commercial um, setting. Or there was one situation where I was working for a cosmetic company that was also producing sunscreen, which is considered an over-the-counter drug. And they had a corporate office and within their corporate office, they had one office that they called their um, their uh, in-process QC testing lab. Now, that was for informational purposes only, you know, so they were, you know, checking color and, and testing scents and things like that on some of their products. And so that wouldn't be um, as serious as, you know, like actually running a, a, a test method. But But, you know, for the most part, you know, it, the facility needs to be set up in such a way that that it's not conducive to contamination, pest infiltration, you know, that type of thing. So it can be an industrial setting. It can be a warehouse setting. You know, you can buy pop-up clean rooms um, online. I don't know if Uline does that, but I mean, there you can buy like pop-up sampling booths. Now, is that ideal? Not really. I mean, you'd want to have something more, you know, something that you didn't have to put away and put back up every time you did, mm -hmm. did your operations, but you could do that, you know, but, you know, ideally, you know, what you want to do, the very, very first and foremost thing you want to do is sit down and read the regulations, which is something absolutely nobody wants to do and nobody does. Everything you need to do is spelled out. They tell you what you need. They don't tell you how to do it. So how to do it, you can be as creative as you want in doing that as long as you meet the requirement that's stated in the regulation. Yeah. Now, another big issue that's coming up all over the board are records. So a lot of people are keeping electronic records. Well, that's a different regulation altogether. That's 21 CFR part 11, electronic signatures and electronic records, or the other way around, I can't remember. But you, know, you can't be storing confidential uh, 
quality documents on a Google Drive. Yeah. Or, you know, in a Dropbox. In a cloud you know, or something. They need, yeah. yeah, you can't do that, you know, because they need to be access controlled and securely stored in the event you have to go back and do an investigation later. You need to have full traceability on the documentation side. FDA has a saying, if you didn't document it, you didn't do it. It wasn't done. So if you don't have that that full traceability records-wise, you're actually going to get in more trouble. You can't defend your GMP program at all without a documentation and training program in place. So, you know, that's that's another one that's... um, um, a really, a really big issue for people. And they just, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a big expense to buy an electronic document management system or to invest in your own servers on site, that kind of thing. But if, and when Kratom is to be regulated and I, I fully expect it to be within the next year or two, mm-hmm. um, then these requirements are going to apply across the board, whether people like it or not. And it's either that or it stays like it is and we have contaminations here and there. I mean, I mean, I know people that I've just in the community that are Kratom vendors and, and they're not compliant and they probably have clean stuff. But I just feel like it's going to be like people, they're going to have to make that investment because it's either going to be regulated or it's going to be outlawed. We're sitting on that fence right now. I saw more evidence of the Kratom industry being self-regulating. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, yes, it is, but I'm actually kind of hoping it becomes regulated because there are too many people that are taking too many liberties in terms of the products that they're, you know, formulating or creating in their own minds without, without doing the appropriate due diligence. You know, you, you cannot start mixing Kratom with other products Mm-hmm. and not do proper safety evaluation and toxolo- toxicological studies. It's it's a very, very bad idea. Yeah. Um, and one that could bring down the entire industry. And then on, on the flip side to that is, you know, I'm working with a client right now who is all different, has invested an enormous amount of money into doing all different types of safety studies and safety evaluations. You know, that's vital information that needs to come out into the marketplace. And, you know, hopefully it will at some point, you know, the best thing to do, there's so much free information available to people get online. You know, YouTube has a bunch of really simple, short, you know, GMP 101, good manufacturing practice basics, um, you know, you can look up, you know, GMP for botanicals. American Herbal Products Association has a wealth of information on their website. And I'm not sure what their membership fees are like, but, you know, they have SOPs you can download. And it's always best. I mean, if you're going to buy a set of off the shelf SOPs, you have to have the understanding that you're still going to have to go in and hand tailor them to reflect what you do. You can't just buy a set of SOPs, replace the company with your business name and your logo and sign them all. That's not GMP at all. In fact, you know, chances are if you get caught doing that, you're, you're probably going to get shut down. Mm. People don't, I don't think that, you know, they don't consider that, you know, there's um, what is it for the consumer protection 
Kratom Consumer Protection Act. Act, yeah. Don't you have to register? I believe you have to register your facility with the Department of Agriculture. It depends on the states. Yeah. The laws go from all just for what you have to put on the label to, I think in Oregon's more strict where they actually allocated money for enforcement. You have to register with the uh, Department of Ag there. And I think it's pretty comprehensive there, but some of them are just uh, labeling requirements, which well, is better than nothing. Because, that's interesting yeah. because my client, my client in Oregon, the one that they, so they registered with the Department of Agriculture. Guess what happened next? They got the oh. knock on the door. Oh, I mean, wow. so that's, you can't sort of play by the rules. You're either to play by the rules or you're not going to play by the rules because you have no idea when somebody's going to come and knock on that door and say, show me what you got. Oh, you got yeah. a quality manual? This looks to me like a list of SOPs. That's not a quality manual. What are you talking about? Mm. Oh, you got a training program? I'd like to see the training files. You know, I mean, they dig and dig and dig and dig. And as soon as they find something they're, you know, they're worse than conspiracy theorists. They will just keep digging until they turn that place upside down. And, you know, I mean, I've been through FDA inspections that have lasted, you know, two to three weeks where they've been, you know, they just keep coming back. And it's like, oh, my God, they're yeah. still here. <laughs> they're still here. Yeah, it's a tough job, you know. It's I, I, I would not I would not want to work for the agency, but um, here's what I here's what what I tell my clients. It's like find a middle ground. Do what you can do. Do it to the best of your ability. Yeah. Right. If you're not willing to invest in you know some type of an electronic document storage facility, then you know the paper records that you maintain. Make sure they're pristine. Make sure you know how to find everything you know, on the turn of a dime, you know, make sure all of your processes are flowing effortlessly, that your personnel know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. Put your best foot forward. FDA does not expect any company, and this includes, you know, all the way up into the, you know, the, the, the pharmaceuticals, they don't expect everybody to have their shit together 100% all of the time, because it's just not possible because the landscape of the industry is constantly changing, which means that, you know, SOPs are being updated, or maybe a new piece of equipment gets introduced into the mix. So the best that you can do is try to stay current. Um, one of the things that I like to do with my clients when I do training with them is to, is to go to FDA.gov, go into the warning, you know, Google warning letters, and look at what Kratom clients or Kratom vendors are getting in trouble for. Yeah. And that is going to be a good indicator. Well, that's probably not something you want to do. And then from there, start looking into natural products. What other companies are getting in trouble and why? Then look at the over-the-counter drugs. Why are they getting in trouble and why? Yeah. Because there's certain themes that you'll see um, in terms of what people are getting in trouble for doing or not doing. The more information you have, you know, the better you're going to be able to have a handle on your quality system. Thank you, Jennifer Bruce. If you want to contact Jennifer, you can find her on LinkedIn. That's linked in the description. And we're planning a Reddit AMA on our Kratom. Follow Kratom Science on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, comment wherever you listen to this podcast. The music is by Rizy. The song is called Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science Podcast is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.